0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Ken Souter, your host over the next hour, where we are biblically speaking today with our special guest, Mark Leffert, pastor of Free Grace Missionary Church in Upper Darby, PA. Hey, you're going to want to stay tuned for the whole hour, because what we're going to talk about today is vitally important uh, to know. And uh, I think you're going to want to stay tuned and hear all that we have to say, especially Pastor Mark We are going to uh, be talking about what the Bible says, and I underscore that, what the Bible says concerning salvation and how one is saved. Um, You know, you hear today people say, well, I made a decision for Christ. You hear people talk about accepting Christ, inviting Jesus into my heart, and all those things. And are they all valid? Uh, Is that really how we become saved? This is really, if you think about it, the utmost question, isn't it? Are you truly saved? Um, There really is so much ignorance on what it means to be truly saved. You know, Jesus said these words in Matthew 7, verse 21 and 22. He said this, he said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my father, which is in heaven. In verse 22, he says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. You know, these people claimed Jesus as their Lord on judgment day. Perhaps they taught the Bible to people. They prophesied. Uh, They did wonderful works. Perhaps they gave a lot of money to the church. Maybe they funded an extension uh, under the church or or helped the poor or whatever. These folks appeared to be genuine believers. Uh, Yet what did Jesus tell them? In verse 23, he continues and he says, and then I will profess unto them, that is these People who claim Jesus as their Lord, who did many good works, um, cast out devils, all kinds of things. He says, I will profess unto them, I will, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. In other words, these people were not really saved. Jesus never knew them. He never knew them. They were not one of Christ's elect to salvation. So, We are going to discuss really how one is truly saved and knows it and can know it. What are the marks of a true believer? Can you know for sure you are indeed saved? But before we get into that, I'd like to talk about something that I've noticed recently, and I caught this article on the uh, Internet this week called True and False Conversions by Ray Comfort, in the church, she's talking about many who profess to be believers, but really are not. Um, you know, I, I have seen in my life as a believer, I've been a, a Christian now for 45 years. Um, I've been born again way back when, back in the 70s. But, you know, I've seen people who I thought were genuine Christians, uh, you know, kind of walk away from the faith. And I, I just, I, you know, what what happened? They were so excited. They got baptized. They were, you know, very zealous for a while, uh, but then they fell away. You know, what happened there? Uh, they seemed to have a genuine conversion experience. You know, like I say, a zeal for the things of the Lord and, and on all of those and all of that kind of thing. So I just w- really wonder when I saw this article. Uh, from Ray Comfort, and the article is True and False Conversions. Now, this was written August 9th, 2019. I'm just going to read a few things here out of this article. I think it's really amazing that that he has uh, seen what, what I've been thinking about. You know, I wonder if you've ever heard a testimony like this. He says, I gave my heart to Jesus when I was a child. Then I became involved in drugs, robbery, muggings, rape, murder, pornography, torture, gambling, money laundering, adultery, perjury, treason, extortion and other things I'd rather not mention. I was filled with anger, hatred and greed, but all the time I knew the Lord and gave my heart back to him when I was 40 years old. Does that make any sense to you? You know, I've heard something like this in my experience and it just doesn't quite sound right. Uh, the fact that you've, you know, made these Wonderful decisions for the Lord, but somehow your life is is not changed. A.W. Tozier, um, oh, actually, this is this is what uh, Doctor James Kennedy, who has passed away probably about fifteen years ago or now, or more, um, a pastor of a church in um, in Florida, he said that in his experience, he says the vast majority of people who are members of churches in America today are not Christians. Can you get that? The vast majority of people who are members of churches in America today are not Christians. A.W. Tozier, he's also probably in heaven at this point. I don't know for sure, but he says, it is my opinion that tens of thousands, if not millions, have been brought into some kind of religious experience by accepting Christ, and they have never been saved. And as I said before, I warned that Jesus warned about this in Matthew seven twenty two and twenty three. Um, the Bible says this: Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That means change direction and you know walk away from sin. The Bible also says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and all things become new. So this is what we want to talk about in this first half hour or so is what about these false conversions in the church? you know I used to always think the parable of the uh, sower and I would talk about the wheat and the tares growing up together and and uh, you know all that and I thought well those the tares were out in the world. Right? They, they, they were the tares, the ones that are outside the church, but really as I, I think about it more, the tares are in the church too, is it, are they not? Um, it's just uh, something that really should be addressed today, and that's why I like what my guest today has been working on in his sermons down at his church, the Free Grace Press Missionary Bible Church in Upper Darby, PA. And his name is Pastor Mark Leffert. Mark, are you there?
1: Yes, I'm here, Ken. Good to be with okay. you tonight.
0: Well, thank you for being here uh, tonight. Mark is a seminary graduate. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Um well, I actually went to Maryland Bible College and Seminary, which is in Baltimore, Maryland, and uh, graduated from there in two thousand and two. But most of my uh, ministry work has been In evangelism, um, I I ran a a, a kind of like a parachurch organization, um, I guess you could say, called um, Pray and Go Gospel Proclamation Ministry and did uh, do evangelism training in different churches and itinerant preaching and uh, missions. Uh, I've been to uh, four different countries and uh, teaching uh, people how to share the gospel. Has been uh, what most of my ministry um, has been spent on doing. But just two years ago, um, in God's providence, I wasn't necessarily planning to plant a church. And I know it's the most difficult thing you can do. The Lord uh, led us to plant the church in Upper Darby, under um, the um, we're, we're, um, under the church called Reformation Bible Church. So. Uh, in Darlington, Maryland, but, uh, what a blessing it's been the the work in upper Darby and to what, what a uh, great responsibility to be an under shepherd uh, under Christ. Mm.
0: Amen. And, uh, as you know, we've been attending your church of late, uh, finding it very, very profitable and, and just wonderful to be there amongst the saints in, in upper Darby. And, um, you know, of course, one thing that, uh, I've really appreciated it is your your teaching on this whole matter of, you know, what it means to be a true believer in Christ. And I think you probably agree with most of this article about the uh, true and false converts in the church today. So that's kind of what we want to talk about here for the next 20 minutes or so. Um, you know, the idea that there are are, are you know, tares amongst the wheat, so to speak and uh you know, what, what we should think about that, I guess. What's your, what's yeah, your thoughts um, on that?
1: It, it, the two subjects are so closely connected uh, true and false conversions. And then we'll talk about later, like you said, being born again. And the two are so closely connected. Yes. Um, I think of uh, Jonathan Edwards that after 23 years of preaching in Northampton, Massachusetts, um, he said that he believed that the majority of those that were in his church were yet unconverted. Wow. Imagine that being under uh, Jonathan Edwards preaching for 23 years. And yet there were still many there uh, that were unconverted, even in the midst of a revival that happened uh, several years before he had left there. And it it shows us that salvation, um, sadly, has been reduced uh, to something that has become uh, meaningless, and it, I had the same experience that you mentioned earlier, that uh, that Ray Comfort mentioned in his um, satire there, uh, how he talked about you know how people get saved when they're young, uh, and it was satirical because then he said you know I I I was a I was a drunkard, a fornicator, and things I'd rather not mention. And then later, I rededicated my heart to Christ. And actually, that happened to me in uh, in my youth. I accepted Christ, as we say, and then um, fell into terrible sin. And then in my 20s, I knew something was wrong. And yet, uh, when I went back to the church and I explained to them my dilemma, they said, well, you, you accepted Christ. You're OK. You're saved. You just need to grow. And and I said, well, I don't know. Something, even though I didn't really understand the theology behind it, I knew that there was something wrong with that. I knew that there was something missing. And I was not uh, truly converted. Well, it took about three years. to a little after that, the Lord put me through um, some very trying times. And I was flat on my face for uh, a couple years crying out to the lord and then when i was 29 he he truly converted me he brought me into the kingdom and my life changed praise his holy name and so that is um but but like we said earlier sadly the the problem is is that many are are being deceived and they make these professions in their youth as i did and many of them never come out of it And I think the problem if you, in Matthew 23, isn't it shocking that Christ says in verse number 15, let me, let me read you that scripture text. He's speaking of to the Pharisees and uh, rebuking them so sharply. In verse 15 says, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. And and sadly, I I think that's true of many preachers today. And, and, and I don't say that to be uh, overly judgmental, but I say it because I believe it's true that the, the church that I used to be a part of that um, promoted this type of um, decision that now if you just pray the prayer, you know, pray the sinner's prayer and and raise your hand at the church service then that that's how you confirm or qualify the fact that you're saved well the, the last time I was there um, the, the pastor prayed with everybody to receive Jesus or whoever wanted to at the end of the sermon just like I heard a thousand times and four people raised their hands to accept Christ, as they say, and then it hit me like a brick that fell on my head that all of these people in this room that had done that before who are now, their false conversions are being confirmed every time they do that altar call. So every time they do that altar call, they're telling everybody, which at that time that church was probably about 900 or 1,000 people sitting in that chapel. And every time they do that, they're confirming everybody's salvation. There can be adulterers and who knows, all kinds of people, and they're living in terrible sin. But yet, if they accepted Jesus and raised their hand and prayed prayer, the, the preacher is confirming them over and over again, and it is tragic i believe that it is the problem in our country i'm I'm talking morally politically religiously i think over the last 120 or 130 years in america that the the great problem every other problem that we have as a country stems from the problem of false converts of the church being filled with people that are not truly born again. That happening because of false preachers, because of these men who stand behind these pulpits and fill their churches with uh, false converts and how sad it is and how much damage it has done. And what it has done is it's caused all forms of worldliness and sin... To be accepted in the church, and when worldliness and sin is accepted in the church, then the world is always about two or three steps, you know, in front of the church, right? If the church is yeah. worldly and sinful, then the world's going to be that much more sinful, right? Yeah. So, um, when you yeah. have false converts, it leads to all kinds of gross sin, and then, and then the whole entire Culture breaks down because the church has lost its salt and is no longer able to preserve the nations.
0: I certainly agree with everything you said, and I think it's very interesting that you point out it is the root of all of our problems. I couldn't agree more. Um, My only question is, you know, what? How did this happen? Is it some fault in the way the church is? put together where pastors are on a payroll and sort of on a career path, or what, what is your thinking as to how uh, this came about?
1: Yeah. Well, if you study church history, it's it's been a problem actually right from the beginning Mm
0: -hmm. that
1: um, if the church is not working against this, it will just naturally happen. In other words, you have, a, a a church that has just been birthed or planted and the gospel's being preached and people are on fire for Christ and and they get truly born again and and that church is willing to defend the gospel and to define the gospel which is so important uh, to define the gospel and define how it works which we'll get into when we talk about being born again mm-hmm. And it, but then it only takes one generation in that the virulent uh, defense of the gospel that was in the former generation becomes uh, lessened. And then usually by the second or uh, third generation, the church is totally watered down. It becomes a business. Like you say, the, the preacher is no more than just a professional just like the doctor and lawyer, he's a preacher. And, and then you have to keep the money flowing because now there's a budget and you have to keep certain people happy because they're the people giving the most money. And really the elders just become more, um, uh, they're just trying to control the church and have as few waves as possible. Because they they don't want to upset anything, and then the whole thing just goes down from there. And that happens over and over again. And then what will happen is the true believers that are in that church will come out, and they'll form another church Mm that uh, God will set on fire, and the gospel will be preached, and, and people will get converted. But then over time, that over one or two, three generations, that congregation the same process will happen. And you see this happening over and over again through church history. And um, so we must fight against that. We must keep the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ at the center of everything that we're teaching. Mm-hmm. Thus, we must keep Christ at the center of everything that we're teaching. Uh, because even as we talked about Sunday there, that by default, if Christ is not at the center of our teaching, then I'm at the center of my teaching, right? You, uh, How we can live more comfortably or how we can live better lives or, or how God's going to bless us in this way or that way uh, suddenly becomes the center of the preaching and the focus of the people instead of glorifying Christ and knowing him and, and waiting for that great day when he returns— So um, it's a process that naturally happens. Unless the elders of the church are actively fighting against it, it will always default to uh, the easy believism, the, the idea that you're saved because you prayed the prayer, you're saved because you had some kind of emotional experience, you're saved because you're a member of the church, and any number of these things. People are uh, condoned as being saved, and then it's assumed that the majority of the church is saved when, actually, only a very few are. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is tragic.
0: It, it really is. And just thinking about that—that that how many people, you know, are sitting in churches week in and week out, thinking that they're saved and really are not. Um, I can't think of anything more horrible than that, honestly. Um, you know, and so, as you say, it's something that we have to work work at all the time as because you know the default position seems to be the modern gospel, which is uh, you know just something very simple. you make a decision. and we'll get into that next as we talk about what a true conversion really is and what it looks like and and what the Bible actually, teaches on that but um, in this article he says um, here's uh somebody there's two people who made a decision for christ in your church i thought this was really interesting i've seen this in my own experience you know the one guy is a trophy of grace so to speak he says amen and hallelujah louder than anyone else in the church he carries a big bible he has more stickers he wears flashier t-shirts and has Jesus saved tattooed in all caps on his forehead. He's really, ex- you know, obviously <laughs> exaggerating here to make his point. But the other guy, he's uh, he comes in, and he makes a decision for Christ, sits in the front row, listening to every word that's preached, and is always taking notes. Always taking notes. He's practicing closet prayer, confession of sin, returning things that he's stolen, going to his parents and apologizing for dishonoring them. I had to do that. I told a lie to my mother when I was in the military, and uh, I, I couldn't let her go to the grave without having to tell her the truth about it. And, and um, I, I thought it would most be the most difficult thing in the world to do, but I did it, and she was very appreciative of that. Um, but he's bringing forth fruit with patience, sending the roots deep down into God's word. Suddenly, loud mouth falls away while humble heart remains faithful. What happened? The sunlight of tribulation and temptation caused the false convert to wither, and the true convert to send his roots deep into God and his word. I think that's one of the, the tests. Uh, if you look at the uh, parable of the sower, uh, you know, you have one who receives receives the, uh, the word in stony places, and uh, this is the same one he that hears the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. You know, he makes a big deal about everything. He's he's really excited, and there's nothing wrong with that, obviously, but yet hath he no root in himself, it says, but he endureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth, because of the word, by and by he is offended um so you know a test comes along some tribulation or temptation comes along and he he doesn't hold up and he doesn't persevere and um i know you said one of the signs of a true believer is perseverance and i never really thought of it that way but it's very true um that we will persevere if we are truly saved um but uh you want to switch over to being born again now and talk about that a little bit let
1: me let me make one more comment about that because i do think it's important for us in how we address this. And it's something that we address in evangelism, too, true and false conversions, because, you know, many people that we meet and many people stop and talk to us on the streets, many of them stop because they, they do have some profession of faith in Christ. So I think it's important for us to understand how to approach this subject with other people, because to me and you, it may be more common that we talk this way. But to most people in the, in the professed church, it's very strange and very offensive to them when someone would challenge their their salvation. So I think it's important to how we approach this with those people. And, and there's two ways that we can, I think, biblically um, break down that wall, if I could say it that way. And one is that we that we use the Scripture. You know, we say, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, 5, and show them, on the street, I should show them the Scripture text. There it says, examine yourselves. You know, or the text that you said mm-hmm. in Matthew 7, and you can show them. It's interesting, when you use the words of Christ, they're particularly more powerful, and people are more willing to hear them. And so I think it's very important that when we approach this subject with people, uh, in evangelism or whatever context that we make sure that we're, that we're directly using the scripture. And they're seeing that this is coming right from the Bible, that 25 out of the 27 new Testament books talk about false uh, teachers. And, and, and that's very closely connected to false converts. And the second reason, the second way, I think we can uh, break down that wall. I, uh, Me specifically, I can do it because I can use my own testimony. I can say to them, look, you know, this is what happened to me, that I was a false convert, and God, Mm. this is how God saved me, as I gave my testimony a few minutes ago. So I do think it's uh, important that we also um, examine and and, uh, purposefully, deliberately handle this in a way where people... Um, can hear it. And we know it's the spirit of God that has to do the work in them. At the same time, it is our responsibility to handle the scripture um, properly. You know, as it says in um, second Timothy two 24 there, that the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves if God, per adventure, will give them repentance to the mm. acknowledgment of the truth, mm. there it says, with patience and meekness and gentleness, we are to handle those that are outside of the Cherokee thing. There, so those that are unconverted. So I do think it's important to how we handle this subject. It has to be with care and uh, and with a personal testimony and making sure that people um, know this is what the scripture is saying. Amen. And uh, I think that's important.
0: Amen. Amen. Couldn't agree more, brother. Um, good, good stuff. Good stuff for sure. Um, I, uh, recently, and, you know, I was down with you and a few others, your brother and your father and so forth down, uh, witnessing in uh, upper Darby there, at the uh, train station and had the opportunity to, to, uh, speak with a, a fellow about his, uh, his you know, relationship to God and, and, and so forth. And, uh, I, I didn't really know how to approach it, but I, I do remember that the scriptures teach that, you know, unless a man be born again, he will not see, cannot see the kingdom of God. And so I, uh, had a conversation with him about that being born again. And, um, it was it was pretty interesting. He was uh he was asking some good questions and 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 uh which made me think about you know this this doctrine of being born again and regeneration and so forth and so I guess I would like to kind of get into that right now and maybe I'll just read a few verses here where that is particularly found. I think it's also found in Peter the word born again I found I think is found twice in the King James Bible, one in John and one in Peter if I'm not mistaken. But uh, Jesus uh, has a conversation with a very religious man, and he's a Pharisee, and uh, his name was Nicodemus. He says he was a ruler of the Jews, and so he was a very high official in the Jewish religion of the day. He comes to Jesus by night, and uh, he says unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So certainly people were taking notice of the miracles that Jesus was performing, and there was many miracles and many things he's done, much more than are even written in the scriptures, we're told. So it definitely was a uh, attraction, and as a religious person especially, he wanted to know more. Jesus answered and said unto him, that is Nicodemus, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Of course, Nicodemus says unto him, "How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into this? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? That would be a logical question. Uh, how do I do this? How does this come about? Do I go back into my mother's womb?" Well, Jesus answers and says, "Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God." That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Um, So, yeah, I think I'll stop right there. Um, That is an account which I find just fascinating. Here's a religious man coming to Jesus, and Jesus tells him that he needs to be born again. He didn't tell him that he needed to be a little bit better or try a little harder or be, you know, whatever, but... So, you know, I want to get into this this thing of being born again. I know years ago it used to be very popular to be talking about born again. I guess when Chuck Colson, who is deceased now, wrote a book called Born Again, it was very popular. But I haven't heard much of that recently, and I think it's a shame. I think it's a very important doctrine and um, this whole idea of regeneration. It really does tie into what we were talking about before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Nicodemus, right? Yeah. So, um, did you want to say, you no. say something else? No. Here, here we have Nicodemus, who is, um, you know, a Pharisee, had a large portion of the Old Testament memorized, as as many of the Pharisees did, and was, you know, the most one of the most learned men in the whole country in terms of the scripture, the scripture that they had to that point. And here he comes to Christ. He he's saying that he he's saying that Christ's miracles were authentic. He's coming to Christ, saying that his teaching is true. He's coming to the Lord, calling him Rabbi, Master, and yet Christ. Again, I think those first two verses give us insight to the. Neglect of this doctrine. um In verse number 10, the Lord rebukes Nicodemus. He says, Jesus answered and said unto him, unto Nicodemus, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? And he's correcting or rebuking him because Nicodemus should have known this from the Old Testament. Ezekiel, so, so, in other words, Jeremiah, this, was not,
0: this was not a new thing, a new doctrine that Jesus was bringing, right?
1: It was not. No, it was, um, he, he's deriving it from, from the Old Testament and everything in the New Testament is coming uh, from the Old and And the Lord is correcting him because he should have uh, known this. And, and, and yet, it's so neglected today in the same way that few people talk about being born again. and And if they do talk about being born again, it's usually merged together with you making your decision that you, you making your decision and being born again are like one of the same. That's kind of how I grew up understanding being born again. But right. There's even, really no difference. Me too. Yeah. And at that point being born again, really what would you even need it for that? Why <laughs> do you need to be born again? If you could make the decision and right. you can do it on your own. So, so either it's yeah. neglected or misunderstood. Hmm.
0: So, yeah, you can't be, you can't born yourself. I mean, have you been born yourself, your physical birth? I had absolutely nothing to do with it. Um, You know, I think that's what's so fascinating about this. There's those out there who believe that if you make some sort of a decision that you will be the first mover towards salvation, that Christ is waiting for you to make a decision, and then he will apply salvation to you based on your free will decision. Um, I don't know how that would even fit into something like this. I mean, right. to me, it makes no sense that you would decide to be born. I mean, yeah, just like your first birth.
1: Yeah, and, but we live in America, though, and, and everything is, you know, pragmatic <laughs> or, or everything is, you know, you Egal- you
0: egalitarian, right? Yeah, you gotta have, everybody's gotta have an equal opportunity to salvation, I guess.
1: Yeah, I like what um, Acts thirteen forty eight says, and when the Gentiles heard the they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed mm. and there you have that um, God's work in the heart must precede or, or come before the faith in order that we're saved so um, you yeah, have being born again here we clearly see in chapter 3 he mentions uh, six times in these first Nine verses, and then from 10 to 21, he mentions believe or faith six or seven times. But you see that being born first. And it's interesting that the Lord, in essence, is telling Nicodemus he has to be born again. But what can he do? Can he, can he born himself again? Um, and he can't. So I think the how is important. Um, I think we see first, in the first two verses, that this is a greatly neglected doctrine. Even Nicodemus, a doctor of of the law, he he neglected it, so we see it's greatly neglected. But I also think then Christ shows him how to be born again, if we can say it that way. In verse 5, Jesus said, "'Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God.'" So there's two things there. You have the water and the spirit. Now there's, it there could be a lot of debate over what Christ means there by water. And um, I won't go into the different theories other than to say that I think it's clear though, in first Peter chapter one, which is the other place that you had mentioned earlier, where the word born again is used. It's the only other place in the new Testament. Um, and there in first Peter one, 23 it says being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever or in Ephesians 5:26 where it says being uh, washed by the water of God's word hmm. plus as we looked at on Sunday you see that principle uh, consistently through John's gospel. As you see these two different groups of people that are following Christ, that you have the true disciples are following Christ, which are the smaller group. But then you have this larger group of people following Christ. You see this through all four Gospels. You have this larger group following Christ, which are the superficial followers. They're, they're, they're deceived. And really what separates them in uh, John two twenty two, 22, um, it says, when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture. They believed the scripture. Uh, when Philip and Nathaniel in John chapter one, uh, when Christ is uh, revealed to them uh, in verse forty five it says Philip findeth Nathaniel and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write Jesus of Nazareth. The son of Joseph Mm. and also in uh, Luke chapter twenty four and forty four, and he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was like with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So these things must come through the knowledge and understanding and revelation of the Scripture of God's Word, one cannot be born again except through the hearing, the reading of God's Word. And so um, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So um, the water there, I would have to be convinced that it is speaking of the water of God's Word mm-hmm. as Christ often uh, spoke figuratively. And, th- and then the second ingredient there for being born again that Christ gives in, in the pit and of the spirit. Verse number uh, 8 defines that for us. The wind blows where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it comes, and whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the spirit. So. There, You can't control the Spirit of God. It is in God's divine providence that he saves whom he wills. And this is really why men hate the doctrine of being born again, or the doctrine of the new birth, as many call it. Mm -hmm. Because it takes all the control off of man, and it puts it all on God. And if we hate anything by nature, it's the fact that we're not in control. And uh but we're not. Um it's it's in God's um prerogative and his right to um save whom he will. And it must be by the working of the spirit. But at the same time, I, I tell people all the time, go to the scripture. The mm-hmm. Bible says you're you're born again through the word. Mm-hmm. Go to the word. Read right. the scripture. Put yourself under good gospel preaching. And um, and the Lord, by his grace, can save you through that. So he can't save you absent of the scripture.
0: So being born of the spirit is something that God does. I mean, it's he's the one that begins the process, I guess, for lack of better words. It's not like you hear today where... You just make a decision. God's waiting for you. And, and, you know, if you make that, say the magic words and whatever, you are, you're in, you know. Um, yeah, at the same time, we do have responsibility. We are commanded to believe. and But yet man is dead, completely dead, and trespasses and sins. He cannot believe. He does not want to believe. He all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one, So, you know, in and of ourselves, there's none that seeketh after God. And that's, again, that's something that's pretty offensive to to many today, I think. The fact to think that we can, in our time, when we're ready, we want to live our sinful life. And then when we see we're about ready to die, then we're going to make a decision for Christ. There's a lot of people that think like that. We have no control over that at all we have to cry out to god today today is the day of salvation perhaps he will save us we cry out to him
1: yeah, you you touched on something there just for one second that's very important and it's the problem is that men won't come to christ they can't come to christ unless the spirit moves because they won't come to christ it's it's a the, the will is the slave to the emotions. So the reason why men can't choose Christ is because we are at enmity against God, as the Scripture says. And, and there's this this rebellion, this obstinance that refuses to come because the consciences of all men are being pricked to one degree or another unless they've become totally seared. But at some point, every man's conscience is being pricked, and we're all seeing creation and knowing there is a creator. And yet men reject that truth because they want their own way. So the problem is not intellectual. The problem is moral. The problem is a hatred of God and a rebellion against uh, what God, who God is. And so men can't come because they won't come. So when the spirit of God comes and borns us again, the first thing that is turned is not even our will. The first thing turned is our love. Mm. It's our in, heart. the emotion. Now, our heart. Amen. Yes, mm. that's a better way to say it. Our hearts are turned. Yes. So we, we love self. But we want what is for us. And then our hearts are turned. Uh, to Christ, and our wills follow. Mm-hmm. Our will it, it just naturally follows the fact of what we love. And oh, so that's... many don't see that their hearts are against God. They mm-hmm. think that their hearts are for God their whole lives, and Spirit has to reveal that to us.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking of, uh, as you were speaking there, about not being able to come to him. Jesus makes that very clear. In the uh, Gospel of John here that we're in, in uh, chapter 6, in verse 44, and in verse 65, he he says there that no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And then in verse 65, he says, um, And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. These are very clear and plain verses. I mean, it's not really hard to understand um, that mm-hmm. uh, we 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 cannot come to Him. We we don't desire it. We don't want it. I mean, it's like nobody's going to wind up in hell who didn't want to be there. I mean, I, who who didn't want to let's say receive Christ as their Savior, uh, who didn't have the will. But uh, yeah, so that's 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 very very uh, very good. But again, not very well understood today or taught in the church. Um, so uh, Yeah.
1: And I think the promise of the Father there, like in Acts one four, where Christ says go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father and he's speaking of wait for the for the Holy Spirit to come. And I think that's uh, what he's yeah. speaking of there in John six, that it's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that the Father sends, and then we are able to uh, love God, therefore choose God, because we've been turned. Um, and then, um, lastly, if we could, uh, um yeah, then there's the fruit, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. What are the what? What are what are the indications that you've truly been born again?
1: I, I think you know, embedded in verse number eight, it, it's kind of um, implicit. But when it, when it says there, the wind bloweth. Where it listed, and now here is the sound thereof. So, so there's a, there's a, there's a particular sound. There's there's marks of this spirit of God. So the spirit of God may work different in different people at different times. In other words, some people never heard the gospel in their life. They hear they they hear the gospel. The scripture is being preached to them. They get born again right there. It's right. a matter of, of moments. you know? Yes. Other people may sit under the word of God for decades before the spirit of God moves on them and they're born again. So the spirit moves in different ways. But the fruit, the fruit, what comes after will be the same. And the first fruit, as we said, just mentioned, will be love. You know, the, the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5 is love. And then the other eight fruit are all are all being uh, birthed out of love, that love is the uh, premier uh, fruit that the Spirit of God produces in our hearts. And so first, there's the inward change. There's the inward change. And like I said, sometimes it's good to put it in the negative. I now see that I, I hated God, I resisted God. Right. And now I'm brought to love him by his grace and and that love produces humility which produces repentance which produces all these inward fruits that the believer is being uh, transformed inwardly. But I think also the the ones that are outward are more uh, objective. They're they're, maybe easier to define and I think in John, First John chapter 2, in verse 3, it says, And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. And then he says, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Wow, that is so strong. It's such mm-hmm. strong language. Mm-hmm. And the, so obedience here is, is the key, but obedience, I believe he's talking here, obedience to Christ. And you can really look at this in two ways: obedience to Christ and obedience in terms of the Ten Commandments. But I believe if we're if we're obedient to Christ, then the commandments will will automatically, if I could say it that way, be obedient to those. Not that we're going to neglect the commandments, but follow me on this. Christ, I believe, had four or five distinct commands that he gave his his, his disciples. And we ought to look at those and examine ourselves and see if we are empowered to do the same. One is, the Lord Jesus said, man must live by, not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Or in John eight thirty two, whosoever abides in me abides in my word. So the first fruit that this love in our hearts is real is the fact that we will be engaged, we'll be uh, engrossed in God's word. God's word will become the most important thing in our life when we're truly born again. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, I would have to say a uh, a love for the brethren. It's such a, a predominant mark in the New Testament if you read through all of First John. First right. John was written as the test for the believer. Right. It's redundant how many times John says that we know we're truly born again by our love for the other believers. There's Mm -hmm. a lot that could be said about that. I know we're running Mm -hmm. short on time. But because Christ's love is in me because I'm born again, and Christ's love is in you because you're born again, there's this love that can be exchanged that is Christ's love, that is a unique love that is only found in the believer exchanging that love with another believer. And it's, uh, it's one of the um, great signs that we have been born again if we love the brethren. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone says, I'm born again, but I'm, I'm not in fellowship with anybody. Right. Or I don't go to church. It just doesn't work that way. <laughs> if right. you're born again, you will love God's people. Um, and then I think uh, preaching the gospel. Uh, three mm-hmm. times before Christ ascends, he gives one last command— in one way or another to go into all the world in John's gospel I'm sorry, Mark's gospel most explicitly, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So if I'm born again, I will preach the gospel. It will be my great desire to speak of Christ and to bring Christ's lost sheep into the fold. We we will be those who speak the gospel. And um these uh and lastly there's others but for time's sake is is prayer Christ said men always to pray and not faint and so if I can live satisfied with my pathetic prayer life I think there's a problem with that I mean if I if I if I love my wife and yet I say to her oh dear I don't really want to talk to you or be with you but I love you, It's obviously a sham, right? If we love Christ, we will desire to be with him. And how are we any more with him than when we are with him in prayer and in uh, communicating with him? And so I think these um, are are some of the uh, great evidences that we are um, born again. We'll be in the scripture. We will love the brethren. We will speak the gospel. And prayer will be um, at the top of our list in terms of uh, disciplining ourselves to be further in communication with uh, God in prayer.
0: Mm. Amen. Good stuff, brother. Yeah, this is uh, so critically important. I know in my own life, uh, there was a time that I walked the aisle and made a decision. And um, it was only because they kept playing, you know, come as you are. How is it? How, how, However that I am. Just as I am. Yeah, just as I am. Um, I was in Germany and uh was invited to a a small church where an American pastor was there. I was serving in the U.S. Air Force. This was about 1972. And um, you know, everybody was excited to have converts. So I was there and I felt that they were waiting for me to go forward. So I finally decided, well, I better go forward because they're not going to stop singing until I do. And so I did. I went forward and oh my gosh, everybody was so excited, and they ushered me downstairs and prayed with me and gave me materials and a Bible and all this enough, which I'm thankful for. It was it was great. But I wasn't born again at that point in time. I just know my life didn't change. But I did take that Bible and as I was had opportunity, I would read that Bible and read through the book of John and, and other places and um It was over a process of time, as you indicated earlier, that I really um, became strongly moved. And I can only attract that to the spirit of God where I wanted to be in church. I wanted to be with the people, the believers. And I wanted to be in the prayer meetings. And I wanted to know more. And I kept reading the scriptures. And And I can only say at that time, I guess the Lord had born, born me again at that point in time. So uh, I had that, that experience, my own self, and that's why I know that this is a true doctrine because it was nothing that I sought out, really. I mean, it was God working in me and drawing me to him in such a powerful way that my life has never changed. I've never gone back, um, which is a supernatural thing for sure. Um, in closing, I just want to maybe uh, uh, quote something here from uh, um, A.W. Pink. He says, um, in regards to this i you know this whole doctrine of being born again and regeneration he says we are we are either saints or sinners spiritually alive or spiritually dead children of god or children of the devil in view of this solemn fact how momentous is the question have i been born again if not and you die in your present state you will wish you had never been born at all um that's pretty strong, wow. pretty powerful there. Maybe as we close out, brother, maybe you could uh, close in a word of prayer and uh, pray for those who might be listening today who have never heard this before and are maybe a little more concerned about their own uh, state and thinking that they were saved and perhaps they're not. Uh, it would be our greatest joy to be able to lead them um, in the right ways here. So uh, if you would close out in prayer and then maybe before you do that um, – Tell us where your church is in case anybody would like to visit.
1: Yeah, we're in Upper Darby um, on Long Lane, 234 Long Lane. Um, If you wanted to contact me, my phone number is 443-206-8346. That's the best way to contact me, 443-206-8346. And so please uh, give me a call and... um, Mm -hmm. Or come visit the church. We have Bible studies during the week on Thursday and Saturday that you can listen in on the phone or, or through other media. And so please um, contact me, and mm-hmm. uh, I'd love to talk to you, meet you. Do
0: you mind closing us out in a word of prayer as we end our program today?
1: Oh, not at all. Let's pray. Thank you, Holy Father in Heaven. What a great privilege we have to approach you. That the Lord Jesus Christ shed His blood. On the cross in order that we would be reconciled to you what a glory what a glorious thing i praise your name please work today in the hearts of those that are listening god if there's those that are being convicted i pray that you would work oh god mightily in hearts bring salvation that people would be truly born again and i pray lord that they would contact us and, and oh, lord that you'd raise up true preachers all over our nation that are preaching this message We pray these things in Jesus' holy
0: name. Amen. Amen. And thank you again, Brother Mark, for coming on the radio program today. Uh, We are so thankful for that. And again, my name is Ken Souter, and the program is called Biblically Speaking. We're here every other week, Wednesday morning. Would you please join in more as we talk about things that are really important? And we're working for your liberty and things that matter here on WFYL 1180 AM. So until next time, God bless.